Too often things created for one legitimate purpose are perverted to other improper, even illegal purposes. We'll talk about heroin and methamphetamine right now on The Law Works. From West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Closed captioning for The Law Works is made possible by a grant from the Monongalia County Bar Association to support legal information and education for all West Virginians. The Law Works is made possible by major grants from the West Virginia Attorney General and from Software Systems Incorporated, a West Virginia company established in 1975 which provides high-end support services, programming, and consulting for county government AS400 mid-range computer systems as well as PC-based systems, and by a grant from the West Virginia Bar Foundation. The West Virginia Bar Foundation, the philanthropic organization for West Virginia's legal profession and justice system, promoting public knowledge of the law in West Virginia. major, major drug problems in West Virginia, and two of the most significant problem drugs are heroin and methamphetamine. My guests are the United States Attorney for the Northern District of West Virginia, William J. Elenfeld II, and the Chief Federal Public Defender for the Northern District, Attorney Brian Cornbrath. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Yet again, you've both been here on several occasions. Bill, we've put a lot of money and effort into combating illegal drugs in West Virginia generally in the whole country. Is it doing any good? It is. Uh, we are uh, being aggressive and going after the drug trafficking organizations. We are doing more with prevention and treatment. But it seems as if every time we have one particular threat under control, another one emerges. And I think that's part of the reason you invited us to, to join you tonight, is to talk about some of those emerging threats. It is. We've had different drugs at different times over the years, ranging from marijuana and uh, cocaine to crack cocaine. Now we're seeing, well, a lot of heroin and methamphetamines. Brian, you're the chief federal public defender. You get involved in a tremendous number of criminal cases, most of which I would suspect involve drugs. Is that correct? They do. And Bill has the big picture in the sense that he's responsible for implementing national initiatives and bringing it into the local area. Our office defends the criminal cases year in and year out. I can look at trends, and there's certainly been an increase in heroin prosecutions and methamphetamine prosecutions because the drug is now more popular. Why are they more popular? Let's start with heroin. I, I think the fact that there's been uh, such a large-scale opiate abuse in the community, and once that source dries up, many people cross over to the heroin. When we talk about opiate, what kind of drugs are we talking about? Uh, the, the more typical ones are the, the Oxycontin, the Percocet, the Hydrocodone, Xanax, uh, you know, the prescription drugs that have a lawful medical purpose but are otherwise being ab abused. and. If they're not obtained lawfully, they're very expensive on the street. It could be $35, $40 a pill. And if someone doesn't have the money for that, they'll cross over to heroin use because it is somewhat cheaper. Bill, your office and several other federal offices and state offices too, 
were very, very instrumental in cutting back the opioids, uh, the pharmaceuticals. But that was kind of like wrestling an octopus, wasn't it? It, it was, uh, but we did a really good job in going after the suppliers of uh, a lot of the prescription pills, not only in West Virginia, but also in the southern part of the country. And as a result, I agree with Brian, we've seen uh, an increase in heroin because uh, the pills uh, that we did such a good job in getting our arms around um, uh, aren't as easily available and they're still very expensive. And so when you have a choice of an $8 stamp bag of heroin versus an $80 uh, Oxy-80 on the street, people are gonna choose the $8 stamp bag more often than not and, and buy eight of those stamp bags uh, and have a, a longer, better high um, that, that they're looking for. So the cheaper drug is, I'm gonna put it in quotes, the better drug if you're a drug abuser. The high's longer and better? Not necessarily. It depends uh, what it's mixed with and that's part of the danger of heroin is it's not FDA approved, it's not regulated by anybody. It contains whatever the supplier wants it to contain. It might contain baking powder. It might contain something much more powerful than that, such as another narcotic. And so, depending upon how it's mixed and how it's put together and how it's stepped on, and that's the street lingo for it, uh, will depend upon how uh, good the high is for that user. One of the things that came about very recently with the death of the actor Philip Seymour Hoffman was there was a tremendous interest by the police investigators as to whether the heroin that he is suspected of using had been stepped on. And that makes it much, much more dangerous, depending upon what's put in it. That's correct. Uh, you know, in western Pennsylvania, uh, in January, uh, 22 people died due to a combination of heroin and fentanyl. And so that's why they were taking a close look at what uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman put into his body when he overdosed and died. And in fact, they were looking directly for fentanyl or suspected that fentanyl might be there. Although, as in the end, it turned out apparently he did not have fentanyl in his heroin, but he managed to use enough of it apparently to kill himself or to die as a result of it. Why is fentanyl so dangerous? Why are we worried about putting something like that in heroin? Isn't heroin bad enough on its own? Well, you build up a tolerance over time to the product, and depending on the purity of the product, you need less if it's more pure, more if it's less pure. You don't know what you're using. So if I have a, <coughs> a habit that's rather large and I misjudge the purity content, I overdose and die. If the mixture is fentanyl versus baking soda, I, I could possibly overdose and die. So it, it's, it's a crapshoot, it's very dangerous. And, and your drug dealer's not gonna tell you that he's put something good or bad or indifferent. In right, as Bill said, it's not FDA approved, it's just hit or miss. <laughs> What, what is the, resec the result of a prolonged heroin use, for example? Somebody uses it and they like it, so they use it again and they like it, and I guess over time they use more of it, but it causes changes to you. It becomes a necessity. I mean, you become very sick if, if, you, if you're not using it on a regular basis to the point where you can't function. It, it's almost life-threatening. It actually rewires your brain in, quite literally, doesn't it? It does. The brain uh, reacts very positively to heroin, more so than it would to food or any other types of things we might do that, that give us pleasure. And the brain doesn't forget the feeling that it received when somebody put heroin into their body. And so 
uh, from w in, in talking to experts and reading a lot about it, I don't think you, there's a cure if you're a heroin addict. I think you can recover. I think you can put it behind you, but I don't think there's a cure. Your brain's always going to remember that feeling of pleasure that it received, and, and that's why it's so uh, difficult uh, for people to beat it uh, once it's grabbed a hold of them. We're talking about heroin and methamphetamine in West Virginia. My guests are the United States Attorney for the Northern District of West Virginia, William J. Elenfeld II, and the Chief Federal Public Defender for the Northern District, Attorney Brian Cornbrath. I'm Dan Ringer, and this is The Law Works. Well, Brian, there are physiological changes in the wiring of the brain right. if you use these drugs, heroin particularly, and cocaine. It, that's true. Um, I think it takes more than just counseling and um, therapy to, to overcome the addiction. It's become somewhat popular in, in many states and it's, it's becoming um, more, more used in West Virginia and that's the clinics that offer what are called Suboxone and Methadone. Those are legal drugs that if used properly can uh, lessen the addiction, the craving, and uh, if you use it as prescribed you can wean yourself off of Suboxone or Methadone over a lengthy period of time so that the addiction symptoms disappear. You become less immediately dependent on right. these drugs. In the 60s and 70s, we used to talk about burnout cases, and it was kind of a joke, I guess, when we said that, is somebody who was a little slow or didn't seem quite like they might have used to seem. And the burnout idea is true. There are physiological changes to your uh, neural system, neurons, don't fire quite right, they fire in different directions, you are impaired. Uh, so I have this vision of people out there, college students uh, especially, because they're willing to try anything usually, uh, but others who say, well, I'll just try this once to see what it's like, or I liked that last weekend, let's use it again this weekend, and you, know, you don't have to go too far down that road before you start to experience real problems. I agree. I mean, they call it heroin chic. You know, it's upscale and popular. You might start by snorting it, which just means, you know, consuming it through the nostrils. You switch over to intravenous drug use, and it gets much more serious and deadly. It's, it's, it's a one-way path. Bill, you probably don't get to talk to many people who are defendants in criminal cases about how they came to be where they are. Brian, you and I do. And it, it's always the same story. They started out easily sharing something with friends, probably some relatively low level by their perception, drug marijuana, for example, or some pills. And pretty soon they're on heroin and that becomes their full-time job is to find it. It's an important aspect at federal sentencing. The judges want to know what is your substance abuse history? You know, what type of resources can we provide you once you finish your federal sentence? So we've all been through the, the pre-sentence report interview process where the defendant lays on the table exactly how much drugs I've used over, over the years. And that's not to punish them. It's to help them with treatment and counseling down the road. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a common thing now. And, and the terrible part is there is some treatment, there is some counseling, and hopefully, Bill, I think we look for more of that, but we don't have a lot of it yet. 
We don't. Uh, there's a void in, in West Virginia and probably other parts of the country, but I know in, in West Virginia we don't have enough treatment centers uh, to satisfy uh, the needs of, of the people who are addicted in West Virginia. Uh, we spend a lot of money on, on prosecutions and investigations, and we need to continue to do that. Uh, but uh, And it's easy for me to say because I don't serve in the state legislature, and it's not my decision to make, but if the state legislature were to ever invest more money into treatment facilities, I think they'd see a great return on their investment in the form of reduced crime rates, uh, reduced break-ins and shopliftings, and you'd also have fewer people in the regional jail system and the state correctional system because you'd have uh, fewer people committing crimes. It is expensive to incarcerate people. It is. The Federal Bureau of Prisons is operating at, I think, 140% capacity. It costs about $30,000 per year per inmate. Uh, so it's a very expensive process. They're even having to repurpose some of their prisons. I was in one just last week that was designed as a, uh, I believe it was a minimum security facility, maybe a medium security facility, but they had at that point become a, a housing unit for some of the toughest, meanest, nastiest criminals around. And that was here in West Virginia. Uh, we don't have enough space. We're spending huge amounts of money. What does it cost to incarcerate somebody for a year? At the, the federal, federal level? system? Yeah. It's about 30000 $30,000 a year. I bet you could uh, work out some good treatment programs for $30,000 a year per capita. It's, it's very expensive, uh, but we also have to you know, maintain the public safety. You know, we have to continue to go after the drug trafficking organizations, and most of those, Dan, are not right here in West Virginia. Most of the big cases we prosecute involve drugs coming from Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and other big cities. So we have to keep going after those organizations uh, or else it'd be the wild, wild west. Well, sometimes those are described as pipelines where the drugs come into the state. And in my experience, I've only been doing this for 36 years, so I, I don't know everything. But in my experience, as soon as you cut off a pipeline, another one just magically appears, sometimes overnight or within 48 hours. So you just, you're constantly chasing the same kind of animal. We are, uh, but I think we're getting better. I think we're, we're doing a better job of working with our partners and not looking at it as a West Virginia problem, but looking at it as a regional and national problem. Uh, for example, we have uh, funding that comes to West Virginia from ONDCP, or the Office of National Drug Control Policy, and we work with other groups similar to the ones we have here for example, in Baltimore and New York and Boston to try and collaborate and work together and go after the problem on a regional basis. And I think ultimately, if we're going to solve this heroin problem, and we've gone through heroin problems before in this country, uh, back in the early 1900s and then in the 70s, and here we are again, I think if we're going to beat it this time, it's going to be a regional or a national response and not just a, a West Virginia response. And I think we will beat it. One, one of the big frustrations I have always felt in law enforcement are these things we call state lines. Mm -hmm. if, it, if it's a state prosecution, it's a state prosecution. It stops at the Mason-Dixon line or the Ohio River or Potomac or whatever river it is because our state investigators can't cross the line to do things. Our state prosecutors can't cross the lines to do things. It takes the federal government to do it because you don't care so much about state lines. We don't, and we have great relationships uh, through, for example, the DEA, where we can 
one of our agents in West Virginia can pick up the phone and talk to an agent in Pittsburgh and immediately they can work together to go after the same target or the same group of targets and you're right we, we don't care about the state lines the county lines and even um, the the international boundaries because oftentimes we're dealing with cartels from other countries so it, it does take a federal response if we're going to be effective let's talk a little bit about methamphetamine uh, Brian, it's a real problem around here, and it's becoming more of one, it seems. It is, and to distinguish between the heroin trafficking, which is international in scope, here in West Virginia, the methamphetamine problem, in large part, is homegrown. There's a rudimentary process that the drug addicts are using to manufacture their own methamphetamine. It's called shake and bake. And we've had scores of the prosecutions at the federal level, and I'm sure equal, if not more, at the state level. I, I thought methamphetamine production required a high school chemistry teacher in a bunker someplace stealing barrels of industrial chemicals. Sure, to, Walter to White, Breaking Bad. Yeah. That, that is mostly out in the western states. There's large sophisticated laboratories that can make methamphetamine uh, that's very pure and, and in large quantities. The shake and bake method can be used by a drug addict here in West Virginia. The total cost is maybe about $65. You take various chemicals, you take the pseudoephedrine pills, which is the active ingredient uh, in the cold uh, pills, crush it up, mix it, and in about four hours, if you do it properly, you can get a user quantity of methamphetamine. We're talking about heroin and methamphetamine in West Virginia. My guests are the United States Attorney for the Northern District of West Virginia, William J. Elenfeld II, and the Chief Federal Public Defender for the Northern District, Attorney Brian Cornbrath. I'm Dan Ringer, and this is The Law Works. So the methamphetamine production we see on television and the methamphetamine production somebody does in the shed out back, is that the same product? It's the same product, it's just a different way to arrive at the same result. Instead of having a large sophisticated lab, you have tools you can buy at Walmart for, like I said, 60 to $65, and you can quickly turn a box of cold pills into a fairly decent, quality methamphetamine. No, we're not going to give you a recipe for how to do this. We're not going to list the tools because it's just not a good idea. This production is dangerous, isn't it? Very much so. If it's not done properly, you could have chemical uh, burns, explosions, fires, it's, and, and, and pollutants. People die trying to produce this stuff. Very much so. It's a very dangerous process if done incorrectly. Bill, that must be hard to find to put down if it's that easy to do it in your own backyard. Well, and I'll agree with, with Brian on that point. We don't see, and I have in my time as U.S. Attorney, I have yet to run across a, a sophisticated laboratory. Uh, these are, are very um, backyard uh, type of operations or in one's kitchen operations. Uh, they're not very sophisticated. Uh, but but we are able to use some some of our tools. So there's a, a system known as NPLEX that helps us to track the purchases of pseudoephedrine within the state of West Virginia. And through other law enforcement tools, we're able to track it down. And oftentimes, Dan, what we have are groups of people who are working together to manufacture methamphetamine. They call them Smurfs sometimes. And these are the people that go out and help the cook 
to obtain additional quantities of cold medicine that contains pseudoephedrine. And so you might have one person who knows how to put it all together, but he's limited in how much he can purchase because of the, the state rules on how much you can purchase per day, per week, and per year. And so all these other people will go out and collect the pseudoephedrine, give it to the cook, and in exchange the cook will give them some of the product. Uh, and in the end, we frequently end up with cases in federal court with seven, eight, ten people who are all indicted in one conspiracy because they all had a hand in manufacturing the methamphetamine. One of the things I hear among drug dealers, distributors, producers is, uh, I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to give up my friends. How does that work? Well, in the case of methamphetamine, it doesn't work at all because, like Bill said, there's a sophisticated computer database that shows your pseudoephedrine purchases over time. So it's quite easy to figure out whether you use two or three boxes for your allergy or 10 or 15 boxes to satisfy your methamphetamine addiction. Um, special credit to one pharmacy here in West Virginia, which sells the pseudoephedrine only with what's called a chemical lock. It's impossible to turn the pseudoephedrine into methamphetamine. So that's one option to combat the epidemic. So far, it's impossible to turn it into right, right. methamphetamine. It seems like there are some clever people, people who could never pass high school chemistry are out there designing this stuff now. There are websites, there are blogs. You, you can Google methamphetamine shake and bake and, and find recipes within seconds on the internet. It's been my experience though that when you pick up a smurf or one person involved in one of these things, and it doesn't have to be just methamphetamine, it could be heroin distribution. You pick up one and you say, okay, here's what you're facing, here's what's going to happen to you. Do you have any information that the United States Attorney might like to hear? And if you get a group of those uh, 5, 10, 15, one or two sometimes, one of them is going to start giving up people and giving names to help themselves, and pretty soon it snowballs. So there are very, very few heroes in this. If you're involved in some sort of manufacturing or distribution enterprise, your name is going to come up in Mr. Elenfeld's office. That's true. Uh, that happens on a very regular basis where individuals who get caught up in this process want to cooperate to try and help themselves and we're certainly willing to listen with no guarantees as to what benefit they may receive. It makes it uh, makes it better for them because they have confessed to something and kind of put a lid on how much trouble they can get in, usually as long as they're honest and, and forthright. Because if, if a defendant goes to trial, one of the things we'll tell you is if you go to trial, you're going to be treated by the judge and sentencing just the same way you would be if you hadn't gone to trial, if you had pled. But the numbers of the drugs get much higher and you do get punished more severely. Simple fact. It is. There's a concept at the federal level called relevant conduct. It's uncharged drug dealing activity that could be utilized by the court at sentencing. And that, that's a powerful tool uh, on the prosecution side. If you can quickly enter a plea and stop that relevant conduct from accumulating over time, you, you could perhaps expose your client to a lesser sentence. Bill, is, is there anything in the works through your office, through the federal availabilities uh, that you th have hopes is going to help this problem? Yeah, uh, and, and we uh, I go to task force meetings and, and speak with the, the agents and the, the leaders of the, the agencies that participate and we're always trying to come up with something else, something new that's going to make a difference uh, with this, this problem we have with drugs. And it's really a, a three 
pronged approach. One is the continued aggressive enforcement against the drug trafficking organizations. Two, uh, the education of our young people. Uh, we're always looking for new ways to get to middle schoolers and high schoolers to talk to them about the dangers of drugs. Philip Seymour Hoffman, who you mentioned earlier, is the perfect example of someone who had it all and who lost it all because he decided to use heroin. Uh, and then also the prevention angle. Uh, and I think from a national perspective, through the ONDCP, I think you're going to see more of a push for prevention. Uh, I think you're going to see more treatment courts uh, throughout uh, state and federal courts uh, throughout the country. I think you're going to see the use of Narcan. Uh, that's a, a substance that first responders, I think, are going to start to carry in West Virginia and elsewhere that will uh, help uh, someone to uh, survive an overdose, to reverse an overdose. And see, I, I, so I think you're going to see more uh, from the treatment and prevention angle than you have in the past because uh, from a law enforcement perspective, we realize we're not going to arrest our way out of this problem. I'm not going to prosecute my way out of this problem. West Virginia is number one in the country for drug overdose deaths, at least according to one study. We have to do more than we've been doing. Brian, uh, you're a KG defense attorney. Uh, you can get these guys off, right, if they're... Well, in some cases, but certainly not every case. I mean, the federal authorities pick and choose their targets carefully, and, and they can make a case. I'll concede uh, <clears throat> punishment has to be part of the solution. But once the punishment is over and you're back in the community, you need some resources to combat that addiction, or else you're just going to backslide. So <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that there'll be more resources for uh, serious substance abuse treatment and counseling. And part of the tragedy of it is you can't go home again. If you've gone out and you've received counseling and treatment and you have weaned yourself away from these drugs, if you go back into the same community where it happened, all those triggers that caused it the first time fire off again and you get in trouble. Without a support system, I agree. A, a strict support system. And, and that could be through probation. You get supervised for several years, you have resources available that you don't have otherwise. So that's an important part of the system. Brian Cornbrath, Bill Eaglenfeld. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thank you also for joining us. On behalf of the Law Works, I'm Dan Ringer. Good evening. If you would like to suggest a topic for a future The Law Works show, or if you're a school teacher and would like to receive a DVD of this show for classroom use, send us an email to thelawworks at comcast.net or visit us on Facebook. On the LawWorks website at thelawworks.org, you'll find a listing of recent The LawWorks programs, additional information about this show's topic, and video of this and recent shows. You can also find The LawWorks programs on YouTube and iTunes. The LawWorks is produced in cooperation with the Office of the West Virginia Attorney General, the West Virginia Bar Foundation, the Mountain State Bar, the Monongahela County Bar Association, and the West Virginia University College of Law. The Law Works is made possible by major grants from the West Virginia Attorney General and from Software Systems Incorporated, a West Virginia company established in 1975 which provides high-end support services, programming, and consulting for county government AS400 mid-range computer systems as well as PC-based systems, and by a grant from the West Virginia Bar Foundation. The West Virginia Bar Foundation the philanthropic organization for West Virginia's legal profession and justice system, promoting public knowledge of the law in West Virginia. Additional support for the law works is provided by the West Virginia Supreme Court of Appeals.
from West Virginia Public Broadcasting.